there's varying strategies you can do as a real estate investor. There's so many things you can do. You could fix, flip houses. You could be a wholesaler. You could invest passively, actively. The list goes on. Um, for me, it's always came down to the right people. You know, who are your partners? Who are the people that are helping you along the way? Whether it be a property manager, whether it be an operating partner who's going to actually oversee an asset manager. So we play really most importance on the people, Mike, in, in everything we do. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. Hey guys, thank you for joining me on the show today. I appreciate it. It's good to be here with you and it's good to have our guest on today. Uh, I am always trying to bring you smart people doing smart things that can explain stuff to you that I am not personally knowledgeable about. Uh, it's a lot of fun when I have those types of, types of folks on because they can give you a broader perspective on aspects of real estate investing that I just don't have the knowledge or the experience of, uh, which is good. I like being in the learner seat as well. And this is one of those days. So uh, get ready. We have a good one. On the show today, I have Mark Curie. He is the co-founder of SMK Capital Management. SMK is an investment firm that provides investors with passive income and growth through the creation of partnerships in private commercial real estate opportunities. Mark has been an avid real estate investor for over 15 years and has sourced, underwritten, acquired, raised capital, renovated, managed, and sold both residential and commercial real estate through multiple markets in the US. He's a smart guy, we had a fun conversation. We talked quite a bit about mobile home parks and how he got his start and uh, very interesting stuff, very cool and he shed a lot of light on aspects of the uh, mobile home park and not just the mobile home park but just uh, real estate in general across multiple states, how he manages that. So this is a good one guys, strap yourself in, grab yourself something to drink Get all the distractions out and pay attention because Mark brings some value and I'm excited for that. So without any further delay, I give you Mark Curie. Hey Mark, thanks for being here. Thanks for being on the show. I appreciate you taking the time and it's awesome to have you here. Thanks Mike for having me, appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely man. All right, uh, so I've, I, I dig into my guests, I, I do my research, I, I try to understand to the best of my ability what they're all about, what their background is, but obviously in your own words is way better. I'd like to know if we could start off, because we're gonna talk real estate for sure, but if we can start maybe wind back before you got into real estate, what did you do prior to real estate? What did your life look like? And then how and why did you get into real estate to begin with? Sure. Yeah. Sounds good, Mike. So I uh, started out in corporate America doing financial analysis, budgets and planning, some auditing uh, for a few years. Uh, kind of learned along the way, Mike, that the, the climb in the corporate ladder just wasn't for me. Really wanted to be a lot more entrepreneurial and uh, started looking at different avenues, right? Like a lot of us think and do. And an opportunity presented itself for me um, where I, I actually transferred firms, I moved careers into a whole other industry uh, where I became part of more operations and logistics. Um, and I worked for a, a retail trading card distribution company. So I don't know if you ever collected baseball cards. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah Tops, sure, Upper Deck, yeah. uh, we did Pokemon. Yeah, so this is all pre-recession. Oh, wow. You know, 2005, that industry was going gangbusters. And so I, I was with a company for, oh, I don't know, five, six years or so. 
I saw them go from about four or five million in revenue annually up to about ninety six million. Wow! Annually, Great Recession hit. Walmart was the big big client, right? We're distributing cards to retail stores nationwide, and they basically said, you know, get the trading cards out of here, replace it with bread, cheese, milk, diapers, you know, staple items. Yeah. And so all that inventory came back to the business and they were kind of upside down pretty quick. And so I learned a ton in that experience and, you know, over leverage, putting all your eggs in one basket. Uh, and, and that was a, a very valuable experience for me. And so that's, that's some of my earlier beginnings. I started investing along the way while working at both companies personally and with family, brothers, parents, and aunts, uncles. And uh, by 2009, 10, the writing was on the wall that my career wasn't going to be in trading card distribution. And (laughs) I really loved the real estate side and and shifted to that full time. Well, let's dig into that a little bit. Let's go back. You said you were doing a little investing while you had these other jobs. How did, what made you even get started in investing? Like, I assume you mean when you say investing, like real estate in some capacity, what, how did that happen? How did you even stumble upon that? Sure. So my journey, I remember I was sitting in my cubicle with another uh, savvy and still friend today, a colleague of mine, and he was pulling up a spreadsheet. I'm like, what are you looking at? You know, we're supposed to work on X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And he had this financial model for a, a, a duplex that he was looking to buy. This is in Southern, Southern California at the time. Okay. I think that was probably my first real estate financial pro forma that I looked at. And it was at work. We probably shouldn't have been doing it, but we were. And, and I just fell in love, Mike. And so... Uh, my, my colleague and I at the time just started analyzing real estate and looking at a bunch of opportunities and cash flow projections. And we were both in finance. So it was, uh, it was fun for us to, yeah. to kind of do that. But that was uh, my first you know, memorable moment in real estate investing personally. Um, okay. And then I bought a place. Uh, I was at, at auction or at the courthouse. I had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> it was grandma's old place. She, I think it was probate court. And I remember just, completely lost there. I, I thought I already owned the place and that the judge actually offered the place for um, people to bid on higher. I looked at my realtor, I'm like, what, what's going on here? I don't think you do either. <laughs> I come to find out that, that there was people there that like, raised their hand and had more money than I was willing to pay. And, yeah. um, but their check was made out incorrectly. And so I got really lucky, right? So that was kind of my first dive into wow ownership of real estate. I moved into the place. I went to Home Depot every day after work and renovated it and eventually turned it into a rental. And I've been in love ever since. So. Wow. Do you still have that property by chance or no? Sold it a couple of years ago. Okay, cool. So I held it through the recession. So yeah, that yeah. and a few other properties. And so that was, um, you just learn a ton by going through cycles. Yeah. So that, so that was your first little jump in. I mean, I know looking at the spreadsheets was kind of how you got that interest going, bought your first, your first property, lived in it. It sounds like kind of house hacked it a little bit, lived in it and then turned it into a rental, uh, which is very cool and smart way to go about it. So let's fast forward a few years. When did you go full time into real estate? When did the, it sounds like you said like nine or 10, 2009 or 10 or something, you realized writing was on the wall, something around there. What, what, what was the, what was it like when you actually decided to go full time and kind of quit the corporate life? What, what, what was that decision like? And what was your thought process at the time? Yeah, it was, um, it was difficult because, uh, the company I was with again, trading code company, uh, didn't have a future. Right. And so I was at a kind of a path in time in my career, um, where I needed to figure out what to do. 
and um, the world was falling around us, right? Yeah. Now, what, what I've been doing, though, on the side is partnering with my family members and buying properties very deeply discounted at auction and renovating them and holding them for cash flow. Okay. Uh, and so we, I just, I felt like there was a lot more we could do there. And uh, that's essentially what my, uh, my father and I decided to partner together and create our firm um, and then go out to our friends and family and those that trusted us and knew our character and, you know, allow them to participate and invest in, in our deals. And that's essentially when we decided to go full time with our company. Okay. And I'm assuming, so SMK Capital Management is your company. Is S the first letter of your dad's name? Is that what? That's it. Okay. Yeah, it's our initial. Okay. That's what I thought. I kind of figured. Yeah. So it sounds like you started off in, in residential, um, maybe single family to, to small multi. What is your, what does it look like now? Are you still doing single family stuff or is it, I know you, you have a diversified portfolio and you do trailer parks and, and storage and multifamily. Do you do any single family still, or is it all bigger stuff? We still have a, a small portfolio, Mike, of rentals, okay. single family, primarily in the Midwest that we own and operate. Um, but we stopped acquiring largely in two, three years ago, Mike, okay. just, you know, getting in 15 years ago or so in residential space and evolving over time to, build a portfolio, you know, we have property management in-house. We've had, uh, we've fixed and flipped a bunch of properties. Okay. I was going to ask you about that. I was going to ask you if you guys ever fixed and flipped, if that was ever what you did. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We did a lot of flips in multiple States. Uh, that was really where we started, um, partnering with our investors. So Mm -hmm. we turned those over in, you know, six to 12 months and then rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. We used to have multiple flips going on at one time. Okay. But uh, what I just found, Mike, is it's very hard to scale the single family business. Um, it's also harder to diversify. Um, historically, single family has been pretty correlated to the overall economy and market. Yep. Uh, we saw trends that we kind of, the writing was on the wall over the, the last five, six years that rent to price ratios keep going down. Uh, competition keeps going up. Supply is much harder to come by. And so all those headwinds were just what we saw to be the evolution of the market cycle in single family um, and residential and uh, began to focus more on commercial. Um, we had always been involved in commercial, but it wasn't predominantly, you know, the majority of our focus, Mike, but it, it shifted uh, where now single family is really not our focus that much anymore. Gotcha. So when you made that jump from single family to multifamily, was it was it apartments? Is that what you did first, or was it more like you know four or five, like real small, or did you go kind of right into like bigger apartment buildings? Yeah. So uh, my father's been a, a part-time real estate investor since the 1970s, primarily focusing on apartments, single-family, um, and land, and a few other asset classes. So apartments were a natural progression. We'd already been buying you know, what I would call smaller apartments, so twelve units or less. Um, but what we really wanted to get into, Mike, was more recession-resistant investments uh, that have standed the test of time, right? And have been through uh, cycles up and down and were a little bit more, I guess we could call consistent and predictable. And so I remember in, in about 2012 or so, we, we invested personally, myself, uh, some family members, into a mobile home park fund. Mm-hmm. 
very passively by giving up control of the day-to-day operations and execution of the business plan of the mobile home parks to a specialist in that niche. Mm-hmm. And that was exciting to me because I, I did a lot of research on the asset class. I really believed in the thesis behind it. And, um, and so that's, that's essentially how we started getting into a different set of asset classes that we weren't experts in operating. Right. And so yeah. I didn't want to go out and learn how to, you know, find, underwrite, you know, manage and oversee mobile home parks in multiple markets. That was a, uh, a task that I knew we would, we would learn, have a lot of hard lessons to learn along the way. Yeah, so instead yeah. we found some experts that have been doing it for decades. That's all they did and you know, partner with them. And so that's how we evolved into other asset classes or organically by investing in them personally. Okay. I, I kind of want to dial back. I know this isn't your focus now, but I know that a lot of folks listening probably want me to dial back and just hit on this a little bit more. When you were doing flips in multiple markets and you had a bunch of flips going in all these different markets, how did you manage that? Like I, some people have a hard time managing one flip in their backyard because of contractors, you know, all the reasons, everyone knows the reasons, right? So how did you, how did you find contractors? How did you keep things straight? How did you know things were happening and you weren't getting kind of taken advantage of in multiple markets? How'd that go? Yeah. So there's a lot of um, what I call quality control that we put in place um, along different uh, phases of the investment timeline. So, you know, from acquisition, underwriting, analysis, we'd always, always go into a house. That was kind of a rule for us. We wouldn't buy it sight unseen. And I would have, a lot of times you meet on local realtors who are specialists in that market. They can tell you, you know, don't be south of Maine, east of third, you want to be in this pocket. And that just takes local knowledge. So we were relying a lot on realtors. Um, And then contractors, you know, that's, that for us in a new market was one of the biggest hurdles in addition to overseeing the renovation, you know, sure. who's going to oversee it. And so uh, it's just a lot of heavy, heavy lifting. Like you gotta, yeah. you gotta rely on people. It's always been about people, the right people. They communicate very well. They're very honest and trustworthy. Um, and then just, you know, a little bit of micromanagement to say the least yeah. um, and, and traveling and visiting the properties a lot. So that was, our, our source and recipe for getting into new markets. Was it a good experience overall or did it, did you guys face, I know you said it wasn't scalable. I understand that part, but was any part of your decision to get out of that flipping single family stuff because of the amount of work or people just not doing what they say they're going to do? Like how much of it was frustration and the fact that it wasn't super sustainable versus just not scalable? Yeah, I said probably 50, 50 Mike. So scalability was a big factor. Um, just turned 40. I've got a wife and two kids. And so I want to shift more focus to being at home, traveling a little less, spending time with the kids. That's a big factor. But then, yeah, there's a lot of hurdles along the way. If you want to do this remotely um, from another location, it's not in your backyard. And um, it's a lot of time, a lot of work, a lot of effort. And and I love that. But um, it all came back to uh, hiring the right people to oversee and then overseeing them. And then not being able to scale it, it was a little bit difficult to put all of my focus into that. And then again, going back to the market cycle, just seeing your margins being reduced, yeah, a higher cost of acquisition, um, harder to find the deals. The writing was kind of on the wall. Yeah. For, yeah. So so now your company, SMK, you guys, you guys buy land, storage, apartments, trailer parks. I know ATMs are a part of what you do. 
Is there anything else that you guys are involved in from an investment standpoint? Yeah, I think that's probably a good summary, okay. Mike. Yeah, okay. I don't recall if you said apartments, but that's a big one. Yep. Yeah, yep, apartments. So, okay, that's what I was sure. going to ask you. I just want to make sure I had a handle on all of them. Which one of those, or let me rephrase that. I'm kind of leading the witness here. Are any one of those your major focus? They, they, they're just your best revenue, your workhorse, whatever. It's something that you guys are spe specifically excited about or interested in when it comes to your your portfolio. Yeah, I'll say the top three are mobile home parks, I would say class B workforce apartment communities in growth markets and self storage facilities. Okay. And probably in that order, Mike, too, just if that really? helps. Okay. So trailer parks number one. Yep. Gotcha. And are you guys under are you guys finding them, underwriting them and doing the the investment, or are you relying on a third party, that company you said that or that those that group that was really, really um, experienced in it? Are they doing all of that and you're just investing passively or how much of that are you involved in? Yeah, so as far as sourcing goes, um, you know, we get our deals from relationships that we've built over the last 10, 15 years in the industry. And so what does that mean, right? Sounds all fancy, but what it is is I've been we've invested personally and as a company um, in lots of deals, over uh, 40 commercial real estate investments um, over the years and, and actively three dozen right now. Okay. And so we're constantly involved in, in opportunities. But what happens is we've built relationships with um, these firms that have, they're just really good Mike, at what they do. Yeah. Okay, They can find great deals consistently. And it's not like they're doing two a month. It might be three, four a year. And we cherry pick the best ones that we believe in. And then we invite our uh, uh, investor group to participate alongside with us. So okay. we, we use our relationships to find deals. I'm not on you know, the MLS. I don't work directly with brokers. It's usually an email, a text, a phone call. Hey, Mark, we got a live one. At that point, our, these are our operating partners that we partner with. Mm -hmm. They've already baked the deal, right? They have, usually have an acquisitions team that's scouring the market, looking for deals, yep. putting in offers, LOIs, underwriting it with, you know, very sophisticated financial models. And then when they get one under contract or about to, they'll come to us to help raise some of the capital. And okay. we'll look at it, dissect it, see if we believe in it. If we think the underwriting assumptions are conservative and they're very likely to be met and the performance is uh, meeting our criteria, We'll take it seriously and uh, think about an investment with it. In okay. It. Now, now, people who invest with you, can they say, are they investing in a single asset uh, or are they just investing with you and you're taking the money and kind of going into land, apartments, trailer parks, storage, all those things? Uh, yeah. You know, we always identify what the investment is ahead of time and we make it available to our investors. And it's usually an email with a summary and some terms, yeah. minimum investment amount the duration of the investment, projected returns, et cetera. Okay. Okay. Uh, but we have created funds. We believe in them um, for diversification, for access to greater opportunities, et cetera. Uh, but yeah, so we can compartmentalize and, and put many or several investments together into mm -hmm. one fund, or it could just be you know, one apartment building in Phoenix, for example. Okay. Cool. And I was looking at your website and, and if this isn't something you advertise, just say so, obviously. Um, but when folks come to you and they want to invest with you, whether it be in one single thing or just kind of a general fund, do you, do you give any out, do you give any idea of what they can expect? Like a range, like, are they making five to 7% on their money? Are they making 10 to 15? I mean, where generally sure. do those investments historically, right? We're not promising anything, but historically, right. where do those fall? 
Yeah, well, we're very, uh, very much in, in line with our investors when we I talk to just about all my investors my, personally, and I ask them what they're looking for. I want to make sure we're a good fit because most of our investments are three to 10 years in duration. Mm-hmm. And so that's a relationship. And so I, I want to make sure that I'm going to be able to meet expectations and vice versa and we're yeah. a good fit for each other. But returns and performance projections are absolutely a big part of that. We always um, uh, provide those. And what we're shooting for is, you know, typically around 15% average annual return. Okay. Uh, I, don't, I don't look necessarily at returns as being the ultimate deciding factor. There's so many other things that come into play because – I'm sure you get this too, like, but you can manipulate a mm-hmm. pro forma and show rosy projections all day long, yeah. but you're really not going to have a very high likelihood of getting those returns. Yeah. And so that's exactly what I look out for. And I, I make sure that what we're investing in, uh, we believe in that we can hit the returns or even beat them. And so, you know, typically 10 to 20% sweet spot around 15% average annual return. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And, and do you find just, Again, this may not be a, a, a great question, but I'm just curious. Do you find that trailer parks or mobile home parks, because those are the ones that you find that you're kind of most excited about, are those typically the better returns? And and, and if so, why do you think that is? Yeah, um, I, I don't love mobile home parks because they provide the highest return. That's okay. not necessarily the correlation. I don't okay, like people good. think That's that. good info though. So why why then? Why are those the preferred I think they have the, the greatest likelihood of performing long-term and being in the highest demand long-term okay. from other investors, other buyers, you know, you always got to look at your exit strategy. How are you going to get out? Yep. And so you have a, a flat or declining supply of mobile home parks. Yeah. I, I can't say that about any other investment asset class except for maybe land. Okay. Uh, and that's just a very huge variable for us that we love to see. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, so what makes them good in terms of, or again, I'm kind of leading the witness, but how do they perform going into and out of recessions? Like we had that happen in, in like 08, 09, and I don't know if you were in them then, but we, there's something coming up and that's kind of a good segue too. Like, how do you feel like your uh, portfolios and specifically maybe mobile home parks, how will they perform in the coming months and years if in fact we do hit some sort of a recession or at least a real downturn in the market? Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, we believe and we've seen that they continue to perform very well. Now, nothing's immune right, to a recession sure. or a correction. Sure. What you want to try and achieve or what we, big part of our thesis is uh, to be sustainable, to be consistent, to, to keep occupancy up, to keep demand up from the residents, to, uh, uh, to have rental rates stay flat or continue to grow. That's a big one, right? Right. And so um, compare it to class A apartments with usually charging the highest rent, assuming it's in a a highly attractive market, Mm -hmm. a growth market. They tend historically to be one of the first asset classes to see rent rates drop and Mm -hmm. occupancy drop. Yeah. Mobile home parks, uh, on the other hand, are providing, you know, oftentimes the most affordable housing solution in a marketplace. And we focus on those parks where our residents own the home and we own the land. And so they, uh, the residents there are oftentimes homeowners, right? And so um, if we 
see the the stickiness of that asset class as long as we take care of the park you know we perform uh good services to the community and you really need to create a community feel where people are happy to live there yeah uh they'll they'll stay they'll tend to stay in Penn. that's just been the history there and so um kind of to summarize you've got a very affordable housing option um if they're in the right location with good access to transit and jobs and you are a good landlord and take good care of your residents in the park, you've got a very good recipe for success. Now, I know in the single family space, I, I'm not putting word, words in your mouth. I'm gonna, this is my feeling, but I think a lot of times one single family rental is worse than none it, sometimes because it's, we talk about eggs, all the eggs in one basket. I mean, if you need to replace the roof, like your rent, your cash flow is gone for a year or more, right? So when it comes to, mobile home parks is one mobile home park kind of a bad idea is there is there like the economy of scales where you kind of need two or three or four so that it actually kind of cash flows the way you want as a as a whole or if someone's listening to this could they buy potentially or invest in one just one park and and that's good you don't necessarily need because i know there's it's like an apartment in a way right there's like if there's one vacancy it doesn't mean the whole thing doesn't make sense but are mobile home parks better when you have maybe a handful of them or or a dozen of them or how does that typically work yeah i think in general mike i would say anytime you can have a little bit more volume or, or more units or more doors you're going to have a little bit more um, protection from downside, right? If you have 500 doors, whether it be apartments, mobile home park lots, self-storage units, what are the chances of 20% of those, right, 100 going vacant all at the same time? It's quite low. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's how I look at it. Um, does it make sense to go out and buy one mobile home park? It could make great sense if it's just five lots, then you could have one lot go vacant, uh, one home go vacant. There's your 20%, right? right. And so right. you want to look at maybe a larger uh, number of pads per mobile home park to help protect your downside in the event of a big change in, in vacancy or occupancy. Right. How, how small of a park would you consider? Like, what do you have a cutoff? Like, we won't take less than this many pads. I wouldn't say it's a cutoff. Like, uh, we look at the whole business plan. You know, what can we do? to this park to grow the value. And so a hundred lots, hundred pads is a nice kind of, I guess, if we wanted to draw a line in the sand, will we go smaller? Sure. If there's a lot of value that we can create. Yeah. And so I think uh, that's just also how we look at it too, is, is what's the plan, right? We're not just going to buy it and sit on it. We're always looking to manipulate uh, manually the, the net operating income. How can we grow the value of the asset, grow the net operating income? Well, that's a good question. That's a big part of it. How, how do you do that in a mobile home park? What's How do you add value? What is the mechanism? Yeah, there's several ways. Um, you know, The easiest one to follow, which most people get, is let's say that the lot rent is below market rate. You can increase that over time. Yep. Just like you would in an apartment. For example, if uh, the rents are below market, you can increase the rents. And that uh, should have a direct impact to the bottom line. Um, expense reduction, you can pass through some costs to tenants, same like apartments. Uh, but also filling in any potential vacancies, Mike, if you've got uh, empty lots, pads, how do you get that pad to be occupied? Do you bring in a used home and then sell it or do a lease with an option to buy? Um, or maybe bring in a new home and then sell it or do a lease with an option to buy. Those are some of the ways, but in, in general, 
You want to be able to make it a much more desirable place to live. Um, you know, pave the roads, uh, trim all the trees, the landscaping, etc. Make it nice, make it safe. Listen to what the residents want. You know, if they want security, put in a bunch of cameras, right? Um, yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of ways to create value uh, that can help draw more people and demand for your park and not just raising rents, you know? Got you. What, what markets do you find are the best when it comes? It doesn't have to be just mobile home parks, but when you're in your investment portfolio, just in general, are there markets that you really like to, to be in and markets maybe you don't love being in and why? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. So, so markets we love, Mike, uh, Sunbelt States, the Smile States, you know, some of the terms we, we use and see. Uh, so you might, uh, how do you explain it? But you started in the Pacific Northwest, Washington, Oregon, down through uh, Arizona, Nevada, you know, Texas is big, um, Georgia, Florida, and then parts of the Midwest too, depending on, you know, the properties, the asset classes. Sure. Um, we tend to avoid the coasts, Mike, California. Uh, we, we like to invest for cash flow and growth in that order. Mm-hmm. And California, just it just doesn't pencil most of the time. We don't get the returns we're looking for. Yeah. Uh, a lot of speculation built into that return where, you know, if you're in California, you're probably and maybe going to get the appreciation. That's what a lot of people invest for long term. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're at the top of a, a, a market cycle. We're at a peak asset valuation right now. So it's it's. It's quite speculative, and you got to be careful. Yeah. Uh, we do love Texas. The Texas Triangle, in general, has seen, gosh, for over a decade, uh, some of the largest growth in the country as far as population growth, uh, job growth, income growth. Uh, a lot of companies are moving there. It's a great place to live, lifestyle-wise, and it's still relatively affordable. And yeah. so, those are kind of the recipes that we like to see. I love it. We've touched on a couple of times. You, you mentioned we're kind of at the top of the market. What do you, again, no crystal balls here, guys. We're not making predictions that you can bank on, but what do you see happening in the market? And how do you think, what do you see happening first? And how are you kind of positioning yourself to, to take advantage of what's to come? Yeah, sure. You know, I think a year ago, pre-COVID, I would have answered it differently. But now that we've seen, uh, you know, a nice uh, 10 months of give or take eight takes 10 months of activity through coronavirus. What we've seen happen, Mike, is there's, um, the major commercial real estate asset classes. The biggest ones are apartments, office, retail, um, and hospitality lodging. Right. Yeah. And three out of the four of what I just mentioned, right. Office retail and hospitality have really suffered through the last, uh, this through this pandemic and through the, the current recession that we're in. And so what we're seeing is a lot of investors are shifting their focus. Um, think not just individual investors, but institutional investors. Would-be office investors, would-be retail investors are, are looking other way, other areas, other asset classes. And a lot of that is going into what's been doing well, right? Where should I put my money today? Well, mobile home parks are still kicking butt. Um, apartments, most, not all, are still doing well. Self-storage are still doing well. These, what we call more recession-resistant asset classes, yeah. are seeing a lot more demand from investors. Rightfully so, right? People want to protect their capital, but also not have no returns, right? And so 
what's happening is there's a shift in investor demand and there's just not enough supply, right? Yeah. And you've got record low interest rates. So that recipe is, it's interesting, it's exciting. We're being very careful what we invest in. Yeah. But what we think is going to happen is, is we believe we're in a, in a, a potential, you know, short to medium term in the very least low interest rate environment, mm-hmm. low cap rate environment. I don't think that's going to change anytime soon, honestly, with what the Fed's shared with us, with the, uh, the projections of interest rates, keeping inflation running now. And we're going to probably see that these asset classes are going to remain in high demand. We're going to be able to most likely grow NOI consistently um, by pulling the right levers. And our focus remains there. Uh, and so I think, again, we're always looking at our exit. How are we going to get out of this investment and when? And who are the buyers that are going to be available? And I think that there's going to be, a, there already is, a lot of buyers chasing these deals, Mike. Yeah. And so that's a great environment to be in. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely, man. Well, listen, you've shared so much with us. You've been very, very forthcoming and honest about what, what's going on and what you guys are doing, sharing the markets and the things that are working for you guys the most. Is there anything you want to, any last words, any parting advice or, or thoughts that you want to leave people with before we wrap it up? Yeah, I would say, Mike, you know, there's varying strategies you can do as a real estate investor. There's so many things you can do. You could fix, flip houses. You could be a wholesaler. You could invest passively, actively. The list goes on. Um, for me, it's always came down to the right people. You know, who are your partners? Who are the people that are helping you along the way? Whether it be a property manager, whether it be an operating partner who's going to actually oversee an asset manager. So we play really most importance on the people, Mike, in, in everything we do. And uh, I would stress that to all out there today is, you know, go slow, get to know the people uh, that you're working with or going to work with. And if you have to build your own team, you know, hire slow, right? That's the move. Um, and make sure that they are of like mind um, to, to what your goals are and values are. Because at the end of the day, you could have the nicest property in the, in the best part of town, but if you have the wrong people on your team, the wrong people running it, you're going to lose money every day. And totally. so people first. I love it. Such good advice. It is a people business. It always has been, always will be. They're your greatest assets and they're the people are ultimately going to have a big say in whether or not you win or lose. So thank you for that, man. I really appreciate it, guys. Go check out the website for SMK Capital. It is uh, smkcapcap.com. Go check it out. They got a lot of exciting stuff going on there. If you like what you heard, uh, reach out. Maybe it's a good fit for you. Guys, as always, thanks for being here. Mark, I appreciate you being on the show. Uh, It was a lot of fun getting to know you and your business. uh, And best of luck to you for the rest of the year and going forward into probably what's going to be a downward trend in the in the market so in terms of prices and things like that so uh, I wish you guys all the luck in the world you seem to be very very intelligent investors and I highly suggest people go and check you out appreciate it Mike thanks a bunch all right thank you all right guys I hope you enjoyed having Mark on the program he's a smart guy I love his his strategy for diversification in the assets I think it's smart and it was surprising to me to hear that mobile home parks was his number one strategy but you know what It's not the first time I've heard that in the last year, so uh, I'm starting to pay attention, and you guys should too. It appears to be a good asset class. Uh, I know a lot of people think about when they think about like 
larger investments. It's usually like apartment buildings or retail space or even storage units, right? I know a lot of people that are investing in storage units right now. Mobile home parks is something that appears to be uh, gaining a lot of popularity for a lot of reasons. So uh, definitely, definitely go check out his website. He's a smart guy. Uh, I believe he's doing the right thing for his investors. So uh, go check that out. And guys, listen, whether it's apartment buildings, mobile home parks, single family homes, whatever it is, get out there and do it. Stop thinking about it, right? I, I present you a lot of options. And my biggest concern is that it's paralysis analysis because you hear a lot of different things. But figure out the one that talks to you, that resonates with you, that really makes you excited and go after it with everything you have. Now's the time. Now's a great time to be an investor. Go out there and take advantage of it. Go out there and make it happen and go out to there today and make today the best day of the year. All right, go get it guys. Okay you're still there. You're still listening. That's awesome. And I really appreciate that. Now, hopefully it wasn't an accident. Hopefully you didn't leave the room and I'm just talking to an empty room right now. But assuming you're still there, I want to do something really, really cool for you. For a limited time, I want to give you a free digital download of my book, the entire book, Level Jumping. If you're a listener to the show, you know it just came out and it really details how I took my business from being like one where I was just doing a few deals a month, maybe one or two deals a month, to doing over 10 and sometimes 15 deals a month and over a hundred a year. And I went from doing very little profit to over a million dollars in profit. And I made that transformation in a 12 month period. And this book talks about what I did, the steps I took to transform my business and how you can too. So grab a free digital download and you can get that by texting the words, just start as two words now, just start to the number five, five, four, four, four. So text just start to five, five, four, four, four. I will send you a free digital download of my book. It's the complete book. There's nothing held back and that'll be completely yours just for making it to the end of the show and listening to me. And I really, really appreciate it guys. So I want to do something nice for you. I do this every once in a while at the end of shows. And if you listen to the very end, every once in a while, I do a giveaway like this. So hopefully you enjoy that. Go grab a free copy. I hope you read it. I hope you love it. Reach out. Let me know what you think. All right, guys. Talk to you next time.